Amen. All right, now once again, I know you guys are going to think as I start this, this is some made-up joke. It's not. And I got the video proof here in just a second, but hang on. Men, you ready? Okay, swallow it down. Okay, let's just deal with this. Check this out. There was this uh, uh, retired guy, right? He was sitting around the house all day, because apparently that's what you do when you're retired. Yeah, whatever, don't stone me. But anyway, so, anyway, so, and so the wife goes up to him, true story. She says, hey, right, as wives do, you know, hey, could you at least do something useful, like, you know, vacuum the house once a week or something for me? So the husband, you know, he's a guy, gives it a moment of thought, and he says, yeah, sure, why not? Where's the vacuum? And so, and so about a half hour later, the husband, he walks back into the kitchen and to get some coffee, and the wife goes, wait a second, I, I didn't hear the vacuum running. I thought you were going to use the vacuum. And the husband, he gets all exasperated. He's like, that stupid thing, that stupid, stupid vacuum. He says, it, 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 won't, it won't even start. We need to buy a new one. And the wife goes, what, what, what are you talking about? Show me. I mean, I just, it worked last time I used it. What are you talking about? And I kid you not, folks, she goes into the living room, and this is what she sees. Watch this. Oh. Dude, just step away from it, man. You're messing it up for the rest of us guys. Wasn't that tough to take, man? Come on, dude. What are you doing? Obviously, he needed to put gas in it. But anyway, that's right. So, <laughs> but how many guys would say, come on, man. Help the rest of us guys out. At least read the directions or something, right? Could he not have done that? You're giving the rest of us guys a bad name, man. But, uh, but anyway, believe it or not, folks, did you know that guy's not the only one giving other people a bad name? Okay. I don't know if you know this, but so are many Christians, okay? And the reason why they're doing that is because they're not reading the instructions either called the Bible, okay? They're not reading the instructions at all. They're acting just as goofy as that spiritually, okay? And the problem is it's not just giving Christians and Christianity a bad name, but now it's producing a generation of churches full of Christians who are acting like practical atheists, right? Always oh, say we believe in God. Ooh, of course, you got to answer that one right, okay? But half the time, so let's be honest, man, with our lips and our lives, what are we doing? We're acting like God's not even around. <laughs> whatever okay and again as we saw hey it's one thing if it doesn't affect you hey that only affects our walk with jesus christ but folks the penalty is this it keeps other people from believing in jesus christ because they're watching us folks is this really real okay so to avoid this irony of you and i as christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who god is we're going to continue on our study on the character of god let's defeat this practical atheism once for all let's get back to the scripture who is God. Let's take a look at his character. Now, we've already seen the first thing you need to know is this is not, uh, you know, just something we just do as Christians. God's real. That's why we're here. Okay. This isn't some just religious pipe dream. The second thing is the great news. We have victory through Jesus. And what's that get us now? Right now, not just in heaven, but a personal, loving, intimate, beautiful relationship with God. The third thing we saw about his character is he is wise. Absolutely wise. He never gets it wrong. He knows everything. So just keep going to him. Don't listen to anything. Listen to God. He gets it right every single time. The last six times we saw the fourth characteristic is God is sovereign. Now, once again, listen to that definition. God's sovereignty means this, all things, how many things? All things, that include the bad times, hard times? Yes, all things are under God's rule and control and that nothing happens without his direction or permission. And we saw this is, man, what a blessing in our walk with God, right? Knowing this wonderful truth, okay? It's, it's bad enough going through hard times, but what makes it worse? Put salt on the wound is when you think there's no rhyme or reason to it. No, 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 God is sovereign. And he knows it all and he knows what he's doing, okay? Not only that, it only blesses us, but it begins to answer some of those skeptical questions, 
that we get asked about God, especially when evil and suffering, if God's so wonderful, why is this hard time happening? And so we begin taking a look at that question. What good can come from suffering, okay? Is it really true? Yes, because God is good. And last time we saw three more wise reasons why God allows those hard times was to make us more humble. How many guys went out and ordered a big old giant chocolate chip cookie last week? Yeah, learn from my pain. Okay, but anyway, that's right. Uh, or to make us more joyful, okay, or to make us more loving, like those two happy cows down there. I did that just for you, Ryan. You excited? I'm not saying you're a cow. Never mind, I digress. Okay, and uh, let's just move on. The tenth reason why, okay, is this. Here it is. I'm, I'm getting ready to produce a powerful, a powerful testimony, right? Now, you can't just say testimony. You got to say testimony. In fact, do that besides Jerry. Turn to someone and say, it's testimony time. Praise God, all three of you got into it. The rest of you, hopefully, you kick on in a second. But it, to produce, did you realize, listen, how many guys have ever been encouraged with a testimony, right? And, and what makes it so encouraging is somebody went through hard time, okay? Did you know that we each have to take our turn? Yeah, but that's the problem, okay? But listen to one of the most powerful testimonies in Scripture, okay, that encourages every single time we read. This really happened to a child of God, okay? Let's take a look at that account. Genesis chapter 50 is our opening text here. God will allow hard times to produce a powerful testimony. Genesis chapter 50. And if you find uh, the first book of the Bible, what do you do? Go to chapter 50. Verses 15 through 21, we're going to take a look at Joseph. Now, now Joseph already, if you guys know the account, his, he had a few problems in his family. How many of you guys understand that? <laughs> you know, his brothers set him up, right? Couldn't stand the guy, chucked him into a well, right? Sold him off to slavery, lied to his dad, you know, and all that stuff. So not, not good family relations, right? But, but good, God did good, right? He had a plan through it all. Now, Joseph, this is at the end, after uh, Jacob dies, uh, Joseph's father dies. And, uh, but he's already encountered his brothers. He's already got them back down into Egypt because, and, and taken care of them. So he's already made peace with his family. But the dad dies, the brothers, we're going to see in the context, they come, oh, oh, maybe he really didn't mean it when he forgave us last time. Uh, now dad's gone, and maybe he's now going to get us. Okay, so that's the context. And you're going to see, once again, it breaks Joseph's heart. Okay, but he tells us, once again, an encouraging truth. He gives us a powerful testimony today. But let's take a look at that context there. And verse 15, now when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, oh, boy. Chrome translation. Uh, uh, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and uh, uh, pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? And so they sent word to Joseph saying, uh, um, <clears throat> your father left these instructions uh, before he died. Okay, this is what you're to say to Joseph. Uh, I ask you to uh, forgive your brothers uh, the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, now please forgive the sins of the servants of, of the God of your father. And when their message came to Joseph, he what? He wept. He already went through this with it. It's like, are you serious, guys? You still don't believe me? You're still up to this stuff? So his brothers came to him, and they threw themselves down. Hey, we're your slaves. Oh. And but Joseph said to them, listen, don't be what? Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Listen to this. Now, he owned up to it. He didn't say, oh, it didn't happen. No. You don't deny reality. Okay? He says this. Oh, this is, you intended to harm me, but what? What's the words there? Isn't that the most... Put that on a bumper sticker, but God. I don't care what you're going through, but God. But it's, so, it's just a hard time, to, but God. Yeah, but see, I don't know how we're going to make but God. How many times, just those two words, you intended to harm me, but God. What? God intended it for what? 
good to accomplish what is now being done, not just for Joseph's sake, but for a whole slug of people, the saving of many lives. So then a second time he has to do it. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Okay. Amazing passage of scripture, and here we have, once again, after his brothers tried to kill him, sold him into slavery and all that stuff, and many, many years, if you know his account there of suffering and being set up, okay, Joseph learned one of the most powerful lessons in life, and that is this, listen to this, God is so powerful, he is so good, he is so sovereign, listen to this, he will use even the pain that other people cause us, and turn it around for good. Now, I'm I'm going to repeat that again. You have to understand this. This is like the best news ever. God is, he's never the author of evil, but he is so powerful, he's so good, he's so sovereign, that God will use even the, and they're responsible for it. He doesn't condone it. But he is so powerful, he'll use even the pain that other people causes and flip it around for our good. Right? And that's what he's saying here. That's what Joseph said, not just once, now twice again. When all was said and done, Joseph, listen, testified to this incredible biblical truth. And thus, listen, his words have become a powerful testimony, even to us today, right? How many people throughout generation and generation have read this chapter, has read this account, Christian, throughout the ages and has been encouraged? How many guys have read that yourself and have been encouraged? How many times and every single time what to do? It encourages you. It's a powerful testimony. But here's the kicker. Did you know that uh, God allows painful circumstances uh, so that we too get our turn into testifying for him? Did you know that? Did you know it wasn't just Joseph, right? Did you know like, God likes to mix it up once in a while, right? Okay. Hey, turn to somebody and say, hey, it's your turn. <laughs> Did you realize that? Okay, and, and see, that's our problem is that we love to hear these testimonies, right, from Joseph or, 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 well, somebody far removed from us, right? Or maybe somebody else here in Sunrise, they went through this circumstance, and sure enough, God's good, and he brought him through, and it's exciting. He's like, whoa, wow, your turn's coming. We love to hear other people's testimonies. The problem is this, we don't want to become one. But God doesn't play favorites. So guess what? Your turn's coming. <laughs> it's almost mine, okay? Right? He wants to mix it up because we go through different problems, right? So he's mixing up with different people, different problems to produce a powerful testimony for different needs of all time, right? And so that's what God does. He will, out of goodness and love and great sovereign wisdom, he will, that's right, allow difficulties on purpose. He's not the author of sin, but just like with a Joseph, he'll allow it to happen so that you too can have a powerful testimony, not to sit on, but to share with other people. And listen, just receive it. Just go with it, man. And, and just allow God to use you to be a blessing to other people with this testimony that he's creating, okay? And that's the choice, is it not? We can either pout because of our pain and throw a big pity party, okay? Or we can be patient and wait, sure enough, that God is going to produce a powerful testimony, okay? Whether you realize it or not, whether you believe it or not, going through hard times is one of the best things that could ever happen because it encourages us and becomes a testimony for the benefit of other people. And since we have a hard time sometimes believing this, I get to share just a few I've gone through, all right? From a multitude of angles, and I get it now as to why God allowed this, okay? And again, I was saying, right? Serving Jesus, 
Wasn't sending up a storm necessarily, and all of a sudden, bang, here comes this hard time. What's God doing? Well, listen to this. Let me see if I can give you some testimonies today. Okay, just a few of them. Okay, for instance, when I first got saved, when I first got saved, I mean, God saved me radically. You guys know my testimony, and man, I'm just a poor, starving Bible college student and all that stuff, and anyway, so after I paid all the bills, right, I'm serving God, I'm seeking Jesus, I'm in Bible college, I'm seeking Him, so therefore, everything's going to work out great. Not necessarily. After I paid all the bills, I had 80 bucks a month to live on. 80 bucks a month to live on, and this wasn't that long ago. Okay, now the 80 bucks, here's what the 80 bucks was supposed to supply for a whole month. All the gas, right? Clothing, yeah, whatever. I wear the same three outfits. Entertainment, that didn't happen. Uh, emergencies and food. So consequently, I didn't have money for food. I kid you not, because 80 bucks, driving back and forth to working full-time, going at night school full-time, uh, serving an internship full-time all over Sacramento, 80 bucks went to gas. I literally, kid you not, I had zero money for food, okay? For the first three months, I was saved. But I was seeking God. What am I going to do? Okay, now this is cool. This is a true story. Listen, it was the strangest thing. Remember the account in the scripture was Elijah. He was he was fed by the raven there, Elijah, and, and the, the bird actually brought food to him. Okay, a bird didn't bring food to me, so I'm just using an analogy. Okay, but listen to how God provided. It was the strangest thing. I kid you not. I still to this day cannot forget this. It was exciting every day getting up. Where's it coming from this time, God? Because you know my need. I ain't got no money, and I'm not being foolish. That's all I got. I never, ever asked for food. I didn't go around and go, oh, I'm so hungry. Oh. You know, to do like the Pharisees do, you know, whatever. Didn't say nothing, just starts. I had people giving me food right and left. I had all of a sudden my, my co-workers that I worked with, uh, the, the, the people who wanted the business would always bring food in. All of a sudden, they decided to go on to this health kick thing. So guess who got all the grubbing food? <laughs> me. I had food coming over here. I had people out of the blue invite me, not just over to eat, taking me out to eat. I didn't say a word. I was like, man, where am I going to dine tonight? I mean, it was so, I kid you not, for the first three months, I had no money. I was seeking God. It was just, whoa, this is awesome. And until I can get on my feet financially, God gave me a raise. That was in a whole other testimony at my work. Unexpected, a big one too. And uh, wow, he provided for me. Okay. And you know when it stopped? I kid you not, it was that first time, because I didn't have no money food, so I didn't, never went to the store for the first three months being saved. When I went to the store that first time, it all stopped. Man, you believe you me, I was kicking myself. Why'd I go to the store? Why'd I go to the store? <laughs> it, I'm telling you, it was sure as every day you get up, man, here, where's it come? It was exciting. I went through that. I really went through that. Now, here's the point. Until I can get on my feet, God provided me against all odds from man's point of view. But how many of you guys would say that that is a powerful, true testimony for those who are concerned about the provisions today? Right? Who went through it? Who had to experience that to be a benefit to other people? Just like Joseph, me, I did when it comes to provisions. But that's only one testimony. One time I had a car. And again, I'm still seeking Jesus. I'm in Bible college. I had a car whose driver's side window never worked right, okay? Uh, you ever get one of those older cars, and it's just, you, they're, remember the days when I actually had a handle? Anybody remember handles? Okay, <laughs> it had a handle on it. Whippersnappers roll with me, right? And uh, anyway, you roll the window down on the driver's side, and it never went back up right. It always came up at an angle. <laughs> you ever have one of those cars, right? And I just, I mean, you'd have to disassemble the whole thing. I did it, I don't know how many times, just to roll the window. And I said, forget it. So guess what I did? Forget it, man. I'll just leave the thing up. 
Well, obviously, it's in summertime, West Coast, right? So it gets extremely hot. Called the sweatmobile. That's probably why I was so skinny back in those days. It was like a human sauna, but whatever. And he says, but that, that was that car, okay? Now, one night, I'm in Bible college. I'm seeking Jesus. I'm doing what he's called me to do. All of a sudden, I kid you not, we were in lecture. And they had the, the, at the second story there in one of the classes I was taking. And they had the windows open. And you could hear, I mean, somebody's just really getting on and I remember in class, they're going, man, somebody's peeling out big time. Well, after class, I realized that was my car. <laughs> Somebody stole my car in the parking lot in Bobica. I'm, I'm not doing something sinful. I'm singing. Wow. Okay. And uh, so for almost three weeks, I heard nothing. Of course, after three weeks, of course, all those people. You ever run into people who do not have the gift of encouragement? <laughs> yeah, they're everywhere, right? They have the gift of discouragement, right? Okay, the gift of discouragement. Anyway, so they're all saying, oh, hey, forget it's down in Mexico by now. It's totally stripped. You're never going to see that thing. Back. But against, again, all odds, I think it was 21 days later, right, I, I, I find out, hey, they found the car. Okay, and so they had it impounded, get it out and whatever. So then I began to learn the story of where it was. Now, apparently when that person sold the car, it was summertime, so it was hot in the car. So guess what they tried to do? <laughs> they tried rolling that goofy window down. And so guess what? It wouldn't go back up. So that was enough to cause them to ditch the car outside of an apartment complex. And God kept it. When I got it back, and believe you me, I knew that car inside and out. There was not a scratch on it, okay, and things of that nature. Long story short, I ended up with $200 in my pocket from the insurance company. I tried to give them the check back. They said, oh, no, keep it. Who? Insurance says that, right? And so I ended up, I got my car back. I ended up in the positive end all because what? Because it got stolen at Bible college, okay? And that really happened to me. Now, here's my point. I don't know about you guys, but that not only really happened, but that's a powerful testimony for people who have experienced, listen, a sudden, unexpected calamity in their life, right? It really happened. It happened to me. But because I went through it, God not only took care of me, but guess what? It becomes a powerful testimony to a whole bunch of people, okay? Let me give you another one. One time, Brandy and I, overnight, we found ourselves in a, a financial pitfall, okay? Uh, uh, $4,000, right? And for some folks, you might think, oh, hey, that's not a big deal. Hey, you might as well just said $4 million, okay? Because this was like, and it wasn't something we did, something simple. It was just one of those things like, well, you got to be kidding me. Are you serious? $4,000, okay? Now, long story short, out of the blue, listen, God not only provided Brandy and I within just a couple of weeks, not only $4,000, but $5,000. Listen, and it was not a loan either. It was a gift, and the person specifically requested never to be paid back, and they weren't even a Christian, That's a rough way to make a grand. <laughs> but isn't that awesome? That really happened. Out of the blue, God moved on the heart of even a non-Christian to supply our need. Amazing. Let me give you another one. Uh, we were on the East Coast when I was pastoring out there. And for years, ever since Rebecca, where's Rebecca? Hey. Believe it or not, she used to be smaller. It's weird. It's like a plant. You feed them and give them air, they grow. But anyway, whatever. So, but... Uh, <laughs> When she was born, man, our kids grew up in this car. This was the car. It's a 1996 Ford Taurus, red thing, right? And uh, that was the minister mobile, man. We, we drove everywhere in that thing. Our kids grew up in that car. They, they traveled in that car. Everyone car. Well, in California, and then we drove it, of course, to New York and stuff of that nature. And I almost say it was just like almost at 200,000. I'm going, woo, man. And guess what happened? Transmission went out. And it was one of those ones, and I'm not saying I'm an expert car mechanic, but I know about cars. You can tell by the sound. You ain't rebuilding that thing. I mean, it's gone. It's like, yeah, you didn't, you know, whatever. Anyway, so I kid you not, I didn't tell anybody, and this was in New York, and I was praying to God down the basement of our house there, and that's where I had my quiet time with him, and, and I just being honest with him, I said, God, listen, 
you know, I, I really don't want to, the car had been paid off for years, obviously. I, I don't want to choke down another car payment, but we need another car. I can't leave Brandy and the kids stranded here while I'm off, you know, gallivanting around as a pastor and stuff. And, and so I just said, God, you know our need. I, I don't know. So a couple days later, kids and I get this email from this guy, and he said, hey, do you know anybody that needs a car? <laughs> I didn't tell anybody this, what was going on. No, but not even the church, nothing, right? And so, of course, I said, Sure. And I didn't know what it was, because I didn't say anything. I thought it could have been a 76 Pinto, as bad as that <laughs> would have been to drive around. But hey, at least it's a car. <laughs> but you know, just don't hit me in the back end or something. But I hear those stories. But anyway, <laughs> so anyway, long story short, okay, this guy gave us for free, free, at this time, a 2004 Mazda Tribute mini SUV, fully loaded, four-wheel drive, leather seats, and even heated seats, which was awesome in New York in the snow for free. Absolutely amazing. Now, that's only half the story. Later, he shared with me how two weeks prior to that email, okay, which was a couple of days after the car incident happened, the transmission went out, he was heading off to purchase himself a new vehicle, okay, and he was going to trade in that Mazda that he gave us, okay, later, and, but the Lord prompted him, don't trade it in. Don't trade it in, just give it away. Don't trade it in, just give it away, okay? And he, I quote, he sat on it for two weeks, and God kept telling him, just give it away, just give it away, just, and he sat on it, he was resisting, right? And uh, he finally submitted to God's prompting, and he gave it away right when he emailed me, right when we needed the vehicle. So even his hesitation towards obedience to God, God timed perfectly, because if he would have gave it away immediately two weeks prior, our car was fine at that point. So God timed the disobedience. He's not the author of that, but he timed it right when we needed that vehicle. Isn't that amazing? Let me give you one more real quick. Uh, here in, even here in Vegas, here in Vegas, man, and trying to get established here, that was ex uh, extremely expensive. And, and uh, I forget which one of the kids, Rebecca or Billy, we had this dental thing that had to take place, and we were like tapped out. And uh, the bill was like 140-some bucks, right, for this dental. And just, there was no option. It just had to be done. It was the next day. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't even have 24 hours left the next day. Okay, it's like, we, and we don't have it. We have no money, right? And it's just like, how am I going to pay this $147 dental uh, bill? I, I don't know what to do. I got to take, God, you know our need, right? Kid you not, check the mail, right? I get in the mail. You know what I get? I didn't just get something in the mail. I got a belated Christmas card in the mail. Now, this was like March, April. So this was really belated, right? Now, not only got a Christmas card in the mail, I opened it up. <clears throat> this person who I've never had this kind of a card before, ever before, ever, okay, in our relationship, um, they uh, had included a check, right? And you're thinking, okay, Christmas card, probably something 20 bucks, maybe if they're really like you or something, or you know what? You know how much the check was for? The amount I needed for the dental bill, which was a weird amount, 147 bucks. How many guys write checks for Christmas to anybody for 147 bucks? Nobody. And then I learned later was they had been trying unsuccessfully for several months to send us that card, but it was our old address and keep bouncing back. They finally got the new address and arrived 12 hours before I need to pay that bill. Here in Vegas, that happened. Now, here's my whole point. I don't know about you, but uh, uh, I'd say that's a pretty powerful testimony to those who are concerned about their finances today. All right? How many times do we have to go through this before we see that God knows exactly what he's doing? And he'll not only take care of us, but listen, Sometimes it's not just about you. God wants to make a testimony in you. And you have the privilege to share that over 
and over and over again to bless people today. Isn't that amazing? It isn't just Joseph. We all get to take our turn. Listen to this phrase. God is trying to show us this. Every pearl begins as a pain in the oyster's stomach. Isn't that good? Every pearl begins as a pain in the oyster's stomach. Okay? And so we can be rest assured of this fact. As a child of God, the pain, listen, you may be experiencing today, really is going to turn out to be a priceless treasure in the form of a powerful testimony. You can bank on it. Okay? And so whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, sometimes our difficult circumstances are serving as an opportunity for God to create this powerful testimony to be a powerful source of encouragement to the people around us. Everybody's got to take their turn. Amen? Let me give you one more today. The eleventh reason I've learned is not just to produce a powerful testimony, uh, but to produce a powerful character. Turn to somebody, somebody and say, hey, man, you're a character. You're a character, right? right? Uh, hopefully a good character, okay? But I didn't say this. This is great. God, he's, he's more concerned about our comfort, okay, or about our character than he is about our comfort. And this is what Paul says here. Why do we go through hard times? Well, sometimes it's about shaping your character, Okay, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody excited about that? Yeah, woo-hoo, yeah, you betcha. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice, woo, in the hope of the glory of God. Man, we're headed to heaven. Our sins are forgiven. We rejoice, yeah, victory in Jesus, man. This is awesome, amazing grace, yeah. In fact, that's not the only thing we rejoice over. We also rejoice in our... Now, why did he have to mess up that verse? I mean, he had a good thing going there, man. The flow was happening, it was... What? We rejoice in our what? Sufferings. Well, yeah, if you think about it, why? Because even that God uses for our good. Because it's the heart. Wouldn't it be great if you could just get a can of maturity? Just wipe it all over you. I guess you do that with a can of maturity. And you mature, right? You got a powerful can. It doesn't work that way. Oftentimes it's through hard times. That's when you get to be put to the test. Are you really loving Jesus? Are you really maturing Jesus? What's coming out of your mouth? How are you going to react to this one? That's when you find out if you're a powerful Christian. So suffering's because we rejoice in that. Why? Because we know that suffering has a purpose. It produces what? Perseverance. I don't have time to get into this. It's hupomeno. It means to basically bear up under pressure over an extended period of time. Anybody can make it through a short time, but man, when that thing keeps going on and on and on and on and on, and it will not let up, but you keep making it through, who would love to have that kind of tenacity for Jesus, right? That's perseverance. Now, when you get that, perseverance, man, that starts to develop your what? Here's what he says, your character. And when you get that kind of character built in you, man, Christian, nothing can get you down because that has now given you hope. There are no hopeless situations, Christians. There's only those who've been tricked into giving up hope in God. Okay? Be encouraged. But what we see here, Paul says, one of the biggest things that should be a source of joy to you is not only praise God, we're going to heaven purely as a gift from God through Jesus Christ. Okay? Amazing grace is right. But he says another one should be suffering. Okay? And for those of you wondering, no, Paul was not some, on some sort of drug. No, Paul did not get accidentally hit by a drive-by chariot accident. They wheeled. Him he wasn't thinking straight. No. Paul knew that our difficulties, and boy, did he go through some difficulties. He knew that our difficulties help us to learn to endure. And endurance is what is needed to build our character. 
But see, that's the problem, isn't it, in our world today, okay? Or not in our society. Our problem is this. We live in a world today that sees no value in our difficulties. You realize that? In fact, we live in a world that we are told we have to get rid of as fast as we can, any kind of pain, at all costs. Instead, the mandate of your life now is to pamper yourself. And so the average person's goal, listen, in life today, even in the church, is to tiptoe through life with as much cushion as possible just so you can arrive at death safely. And that's not reality, so you wonder why everybody's so frustrated. But that's the goal. That's what society says. Okay, but what do we read? In essence, the Bible says, you want to grow up in Christ? You want to become strong in Christ? You want to have that hope that endures no matter what you go through in life? Anybody? Then we need difficulties. Why? Because that's what shapes us into a people of character, okay? A person full of character has the necessary strength, listen, to make it through this world of suffering. I've said this, I don't know how many times. This is not heaven. Heaven comes later. But God doesn't leave us hanging high and dry in this world of sin and suffering. He will use those sufferings to give us the spiritual muscles and the character so we can endure on top and rise above it all before we get to heaven. It's hard times. It is a lie to say that you can tiptoe through life with no pain at all. We live in a sinful world. Sooner or later, you're going to experience some pain. Okay, the problem is when people live like this, even Christians, and you think it's just all about pamping yourself, it's all about you and the way that you want it, and it should always be perfect, you are going to be headed for heartache after heartache after, because that's not reality. And so God sees all this going on. So you know what he does for his kids? <laughs> He'll allow those hard times to come anyway, because he loves us, because he's good, because he's sovereign. He'll orchestrate those difficulties, and we learn real fast that pouting will get you nowhere. You learned that one yet. Okay. And hopefully over time, we begin to appreciate the value, yes, the value of our difficulties. And once again, since we have a hard time believing this, I get to share you some stories. Now, I want to go a little bit into my family heritage because we're all a bunch of characters in more ways than one. Okay, I'm going to start with my grandmas. How many guys had one of those grandmas? I mean, grandmas that, man, you, they must have been born with Moses, man. You guys are solid as a rock, grandma, man. You just could make it through anything. I had two of them. Right? Both of my grandmothers, both sides of my family. And, okay? and, of course, they were great, strong women, women of character because they had such a pampered life. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, they had a painful life. I, I don't have time to go into all the stories. Let me give you just a couple of them. Uh, one of my grandmothers, okay, and uh, some of you may have heard this before, but she lived uh, out in the Midwest, right, uh, where I, I grew up, out in the Midwest. Uh, she lived 10 miles, 10 miles uh, from town, which is a hard, no, that's not too hard. Imagine being out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. Okay, it might as well be the desert in Kansas, but anyway, uh, you're, I'm 10 miles from town, okay? Listen, she had to give birth to one of her kids, which has been my aunt, okay, all by herself. No doctor, no person, nobody, no phone, no nothing. And she not only had to give birth all by herself, she had to cut the cord, she had to dispose, she had to clean herself up, clean the baby up, listen to this, in time to make the food for the men before they came back in from the fields from working. That's a woman, right? And didn't complain about it. That's just life, okay? Now, same grandmother during the Depression. They, you remember the Dust Bowl? They went through that, okay? Uh, during the Depression, they lost it all, and they had to live in it. Her family had to live with kids, had to live with kids, had to live in a cook shack. You guys know what a cook shack is? 
Hey, it's about as that exciting too when you find out. Okay, <laughs> I wouldn't want to live in a cook shack either. Okay, but <laughs> the cook shack. How many of you guys remember that old uh, uh, dog food commercial? And 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 that uh, uh, they announced. I forget what was it. Oh, gravy train. Remember gravy train? Right. And then there was that old uh, miniature wagon guy. And they come flying through the kitchen and stuff like. Remember that? Praise God, somebody else besides me grew up in Kansas. But anyway, <laughs> they shut it out there anyway. But anyway, so it, that's all it was. It was a wagon. A chuck wagon is a wagon. That was the wagon, just a wagon that was hauled by horses, just a regular wagon. In the old westerns, they see the, the guy who's cooking the food, right? The beans and more beans with coffee, right? That was it. That was just the, that's what they lived in. That was their house. They lived in a cook shack. And that's just what you did with kids. How many guys would go nuts if you spent time with your kids? Let's just move on. So they, <laughs> and the kids and I, I remember I was sitting there in the living room one day, and I'm asking my grandma, and she, she's telling me all this stuff, right? Because grandma was awesome. Because you ever thought you had it bad? You just go to grandma. And you'd pour out your guts looking for sympathy. Yeah, whatever. She'd step right on him. Oh, yeah. Well, you thought you had it bad. <laughs> it was so, it was, I'm in there in the living room, right? And so she's sitting there, and she's, I said, are you serious, Grandma? Your family lived in a cook shack? And she goes, yeah. I said, well, how long did they live in the cook shack? Matter of factly, not even smiling, cracking a joke. She just said, you know, it's just a way of life. She goes, oh, until the tornado blew it away. <laughs> Man, come on. Are you serious? Right? Okay, and the same grandmother's, her house burnt down when she got married. Her house burnt down twice in her life. And they escaped both times with nothing but the shirt on their back twice in one life. And then when she was all on her own, the apartment she lived in burnt down. So technically three. The same grandma. My other grandma on my dad's side, back again in Kansas, uh, their daily routine, this is how they live. This is how you eat. This is how you survive. Well, my dad was uh, just a little a crumb snatcher. And uh, they would, she would walk across the gravel road to where the, the cows were in the shed there, milking cows. And uh, he said that this was her routine. This is what, you know. And uh, she, she said that uh, on the way to go milk the cows, she'd be looking for a good-sized rock, about fist size. And he said she had some pretty good strapping arms, you know, working. And uh, he said, so what she would do, she'd get a good, couple good rocks, right, and she'd pick them up on the way to the cows. And she'd be milking cows with one hand, keeping her eyes open, looking around. And she would, she would bean rabbits in the head with a rock, knock them out, and that's what they'd eat for supper that night. Can you imagine living like that? Okay. That's my grandmother's, okay? That was the daily routine, okay? Uh, I also admire my dad. Why? Because he was obviously born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Are you kidding? My dad was born with a shovel in his hand. Are you kidding me? I'll tell you what. He went to work, man. My grandfather, man, he had spared him nothing, right? He went to work at the age of seven. And I'm talking hard work, okay? If it wasn't doing farm work, which is easy work, yeah, whatever. Uh, hard work, but he was also into uh, heavy construction, pouring concrete at seven years old. And uh, my grandfather had my dad work school on weekend every summer holidays. Dad said it was just another work day. And then later when he married and my mom and they were trying to farm out in Kansas and stuff. And, and uh, this wasn't that long ago. I was when I was a baby. Uh, they had no running water at this place. They had to pump it manually, not just for drinking water, but for the cooking and the washing and all that stuff. And I grew up and I asked my dad, I says, Dad, how in the world did we end up in California? for the stint that we did, then we moved back again, right? And uh, he said, just again, matter of factly, like my grandmother, he says, hey, we got tired of starving to death. And at first I thought he was kidding, but then he went on to tell me. 
apparently they had had two bad winters in a row farming. Okay, and uh, they were totally wiped out financially. Uh, in fact, back then they used to give you credit, but it was so bad that nobody would even give them credit, right? Because there's no crop, there's no guarantee of anything coming in. They had no money, nobody gave them credit. And so the last winter there to keep food on the table, my dad shot rabbits and picked Milo out of the field, gleanings. And Milo was cattle feed. Maybe that explains something. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that's cattle feed. And he says, to this day, I can't stand the smell of it because my mom would try to cook it up like an oatmeal or do a salad thing. It's just cattle. It's, but you had to have something else with the rabbit meat. And, that's what he, and then it got so bad, I kid you not, that halfway through the winter, he said, I ran out of bullets. So to survive that last winter there, my dad built box traps, for those of you who know. He built box traps and he trapped rabbits just to keep the meat coming. And that's how we made it to that winter. Not that long ago. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but here's my whole point in sharing all that stuff. I, the average person today probably couldn't survive a week under those conditions. How far we have been removed from just, listen, it's part of building character. You want to become strong? You go through hard times. You want to be weak? Then be pampered. God says we need hard times because that's what teaches us perseverance. It builds up character. And when you build that character, nothing, not even this that I just described to you, can take away your joy in Christ. Nothing will get you down. Isn't that a gift? But it comes through hard times. The reason why I admire so many people in my family is because they have a strong character. And the reason why they have a strong character today is because they've had tons of troubles yesterday. But my family's not the only one who gained from a life of hardship. So did this guy. Listen. When he was seven years old, okay, his family was forced out of their home on a legal technicality, and uh, he had to go work to help support him. And then at the age of nine, his mom died. And then at 22, he lost his job as a store clerk. And he wanted to go to law school, but his education wasn't good enough. At 23, he went into debt to become a, a partner uh, in a small store. At 26, his business partner died, leaving him a huge debt that took years and years to repay. At, at 28, after courting a girl, for four, after four years, he courted this girl. He asked her to marry him, and guess what she said? Now, you see the track record? No. Right? At 37, on his third try, he was elected to Congress, but two years later, he failed to be reelected. At 41, his four-year-old son had died. At 45, he ran for the Senate and lost. At 47, he failed as the vice presidential candidate, and at 49, he ran for the Senate again and lost again. But at 51, he was elected the president of the United States some consider him to be the greatest leader our country ever had. His name was Abraham Lincoln. Some people get all the breaks. Here's the point. Is God being mean when he allows us to go through hard times, even as his people? No. He's teaching us a powerful lesson. He's trying to get us to see that a pampered life leads to a lazy life. And a lazy life leads to a weak life. Why? Because you never had to build character. And then you put it even in what's going on in our country today. It's like, man, where's the pool of people? I mean, I mean where, where are the great leaders like Abraham Lincoln? Where are they gone? Uh, where's the Patrick Henrys of old, right? Who will look death in the face. Give me liberty or give me death. Instead, we got a pampered society. And here's your big outcry. If you don't give me hot french fries, I'll tell the manager. What? What America needs is more shortages. 
As Americans, we've always been good at handling adversity. It's prosperity that's doing us in. Listen, this whole pampered, selfish, self-centered, me, myself, and I, unholy trinity is turning us into a people of no character. And so whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, sometimes God will still allow those hard times to come because he sees what we need. You don't need a pampered life. You need hope. But you don't get that kind of hope until you build your character. And you don't get that kind of character until you learn to persevere. And you don't learn to persevere until you go through hard times. He's doing it because he loves us. And he wants us to stand strong for him before we get to heaven in this world of suffering. In fact, when we develop that powerful character, uh, we get the power we need to soar above any and all hurtful, painful problems. No matter what life would throw our way, we still come out on top. Like this couple did. Let's take a look at what they did with their pain that came their way. Let's take a look. Dear Elliot, right now you are two months from being born. We just found out that you have trisomy 18, also called Edward Syndrome. Doctors tell us that you won't likely make it to birth. Your mom and I are praying against that. We're praying for healing. We are praying for nothing less than a miracle. You're our first child, and the day of your birth couldn't come sooner. Dear Elliot, you were born today weighing in at six pounds. You are already a miracle to us. Your mom is doing well, and it looks like we'll be hanging out here at the hospital a little longer. Dear Elliot, today you turned 11 days old. We are so proud of you. Today we celebrated your 11th birthday. In fact, we do that every day at 4.59, the time you were born. Dear Elliot, we've been home for a week now, so that's why you don't see your nurses anymore. It's great to have you home. Today I think we'll pack up everything and take our first venture out for coffee. Dear Elliot, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're connected to some tubes. The doctors say we have to keep these in so you can get oxygen to breathe. You are also fed through a feeding tube. We feed you every three hours and it takes an hour and a half to do it. We've loved learning how to best take care of you. We love it. Lots of people email, call, and send cards on your behalf. You're well loved. It's 11 at night right now and my feeding shift has just begun. Mom is asleep and the best part of my day has begun. My shift ends around 4.45 a.m. when your mom takes over. She cherishes her mornings with her boy. Today you turn one month old. I didn't know if I'd ever get to say that. To top off the day, 20 friends showed up at the door for a true surprise birthday party for you. They sang, brought balloons, and a birthday cake. It was beautiful chaos. At 2 a.m. this morning, your feeding tube came out. We had been warned this may happen eventually. We quickly realized we did not have a stethoscope, which was necessary to replace the tube. Since our neighbor was a nurse, I went ahead and knocked on their door at 2.30 a.m. They found their stethoscope and your mom went to it. After much wrestling, praying, and your tears, the tube was down and you were able to feed. Just so you know, your mom is my hero. Dear Elliot, you now weigh seven pounds, three ounces. You're growing and your food has been bumped up because of your good appetite. You continue to find new ways to steal our hearts. Dear Elliot, today marks two months of your life. Your mom and I are so thankful we know you. We know your face, your noises. We know that bath time and massage are your favorite daily activity. You finally learned how to suck your thumb by yourself. 
Because of trisomy 18, you were born with clenched fist, and being able to do this is actually quite difficult. Way to go, son. Dear Elliot, we celebrate your birthday every day with a picture. Lately, we've tried to get a bit more creative. Dear Elliot, I realize you can get frustrated with your tubes and your frequent congestion. Please know that your mom and I are doing everything we can to make you comfortable. Dear Elliot, well you tipped the scales today at 8 pounds 14 ounces, quite an accomplishment. You also have managed to grow a pretty decent mullet. Dear Elliot, we all got to go to a reunion at the hospital. I've never seen your mom more happy. The joy she felt getting to show off her son can't be described with words. In fact, she compared it to the way a mother would feel when her son becomes president or wins a Heisman or develops a cure for cancer. The logic of medicine says you shouldn't be alive, but you are. You are such a fighter. Dear Elliot, you have now passed the three month mark. You also got your first cordless pictures taken today. No feeding tube, oxygen, or stickers. This was no small accomplishment, but we got it done. Have I told you lately that we are so proud of you? Dear Elliot, today you went to be with Jesus. An underdeveloped lung, a heart with a hole in it, and DNA that placed faulty information into each and every cell of your body could not stop God from revealing himself through a child who never uttered a word. Not a pulpit, not a slick presentation, not a best-selling book, but a six-pound boy with trisomy 18. God found great pleasure to take a lowly thing in the eyes of the world and show truth. At your funeral, we released 99 balloons each balloon representing a day of your life. How beautiful it was to watch. How quickly they were gone. And so today, we celebrate. Elliot, you are well. And although we miss you more than we can express, we're only separated from you by our time left on Earth. See you soon, son. Mom and Dad. do that as a as a Christian how do you how do you look at the death of a child with such strength such conviction such hope listen and then you actually make a video out of it to encourage other people around the world you're not just surviving through that you're thriving Well, I think they understand the goodness and the wisdom of God that we need to be reminded of today. That God will use all of our pain, all of our trials, all of our tears. Listen, not just produce a powerful testimony, because that's a testimony. But at the same time, when that testimony is being birthed, it's produced a powerful character that is needed to make it through a time like that. Both in one shot. And when you have that strength, when you have that conviction, you can make it through any trial this side of heaven until one day we get to see our loved ones in Christ again.
in a place beyond our wildest dreams. And we'll never have to say goodbye. And I get to see my grandmas again. And we'll never shed a tear. We'll never experience pain of any kind. All because of the amazing grace of God through Jesus. God takes care of us not just when we get into heaven. God takes care of us before we get there. But he'll use our hard times to give us that strength. Isn't that splendid? And it's all because God is wonderful and good, wise and sovereign. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? 
Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. 
He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.